Hey, what's up everyone? It's your boy Devin here and some old smelly old lady butt in front of me at Tim Hortons. I was so fucking mad. I wanted to pour fucking hot coffee down her fucking face and shove a cane up her pussy and fucking ass. Cause that made me so fucking mad when the old smelly lady cut in front of me. Like how dare you bitch? Wait your fucking turn like everyone else, you fucking cunt. Like honestly, that bitch gonna get a king shove up her pussy and ass and make her asshole bleed. Oh yeah, my favorite podcast is the Sick and Wrong Podcast. Cause it's a very good podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a funny, funny, funny show sick and wrong podcast is a wonderful podcast it's a miraculous podcast is like the best podcast in the whole wide 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 world good evening welcome to sick and wrong the world's source for anti-social commentary i'm on your host e simon hi i'm kate rambo hiya kate rambo it's been a rough week it has. I need uh, one of my famous 24-hour sleeps. Yeah, you need to like go into your coffin and not come out for at least two days. I, that's all I want right now. And Chi-Chi. I want Chi-Chi and to sleep. It's been rough. Been rough up here in North, the northern part of England. A lot of packing, a lot of cleaning, yeah. a lot of packing. A lot of panicking about how much stuff I've still got. <laughs> A lot of shipping of cats. Aww. One cat. That was a bummer. Yeah. You can hear about that in the second show. Um, and then a lot of getting the house prepared for a guy who is very reminiscent of Fred Sanford from Sanford's Son coming here to pretty much take the rest of the horde that you don't want to uh, what you guys call the tip, <laughs> otherwise known as the junkyard. Well, he's going to, you know, he's going to like, separate it all. He'll take the metal to the metal man, to the scrap man. And it'll, it'll take rest to recycling, and then what can't go there goes into tip. Would you ever watch Sanford Son? Is that a thing here? Uh, it was a thing, but I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite shows. I even have like the first four seasons on DVD. But you know, it's based off an English show called Steptoe and Son. Yes, which I'm also not old enough for. I mean, that, that was from like the 60s or early. Yeah, I think the 60s of Steptoe and Son. But they, they, the, the Jewish producers took that premise and then put it in like Watts, South Central Watts, L.A., and just like an old black guy in the sun. But that, that's pretty much what they did is they came to someone's house and uh, surveyed what you had, totally gave you like a lowball figure for what it's worth, and then made you pay them to, uh, to haul the junk out of your house. Yeah, house clearances is a bit bullshit, but <laughs> you're paying them, but they're also going to make money off your junk. But at the same yeah, time, yeah, you have a brand new refrigerator. You just got that in February. I know, and that's probably what he's going to sell for the highest amount of money. But, but the way he was like, oh, I don't know, I can get like 50 quid maybe. Yeah. It's I, like, yeah. Whatever. It's all, <laughs> it all has to go. It's all going tomorrow. It's great. But Kate good. has at least 2,000 books. Thankfully... Most of them made it onto the boat. But there's still quite a few that we have to pack in our luggage. Yes. A few I've kept behind. Yeah, a few you've kept behind. But how many of those books do you have that are written by killers or other prisoners? I have a few books by serial killers that they've wrote themselves. Um, there's a few I refuse to buy. Like, I would never buy David Berkowitz's book. 
Like, firstly, because it's so expensive. It's the same with John Wayne Gacy. Both their books are so expensive, and they just blather on about fucking God and just, like, I don't want that. But the good serial killers who wrote books, like uh, Charles Panzram. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His book is great. His book is I great. Have that one. Um, Gates of Janus, Ian Brady's book. Yeah, Does Gates of Anus. I have. I actually <laughs> have a first. Anus. I have a first edition of that. Yeah. Oh, you got a first edition of that. Oh my! Uh, is it yeah. signed? No. Oh, how badly I wanted to get that signed. I tried so hard to get Ian Brady to write back to me, but he never ever would. It, he had that famous quote: "Killers are made, not born." I think he's right. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Actually, um, but yeah, you know, a lot of uh, convicted killers, murderers. Um, thieves, prisoners, have written uh, books and other autobiographies. And uh, it kind of gives that, I think, I think the appeal is it gives that, that, that glimpse into their past, their twisted minds, yes. and possibly the, uh, the intentions behind their crimes. Um, and these letters and books by serial killers, you know, have been written for a long time. Um, but there's, it's interesting because in the States, and this is what I was wondering, I was going to ask you about this, um, in the States, we have Son of Sam laws, which prevent criminals from profiting uh, off the publicity of their crimes. And that, that was implemented, you know, in the famous Son of Sam case in, the, in 1977. Uh, but before that, you know, H.H. Uh, Holmes, you know, yeah. um, uh, uh, you know, who is the serial killer in Chicago, uh, he received payment in exchange for writing about all of his murders, even penning a confession that sold out. Um, and then there's uh, other books by killers, such as Jack Unterweger, who we're going to be talking about, and Carl Panzerin, uh, explicitly recall their murders. Uh, Gacy used, used his book to try to prove his innocence. Oh, it's pathetic, really. But these books did allow them to profit off their crimes. So the Son of Sam law, which is known as the notoriety for profit law, um, was a law designed to keep criminals from profiting off uh, the publicity of their crimes. So do they have notoriety for profit laws in the UK? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we do. Because uh, Ian Brady got a slap on the wrist, didn't he? But did he profit off the book? I think maybe. I'm not quite sure. Or maybe the guy he wrote it with did. I mean, like, you might as well just give them the money. They're in jail. What the fuck are they going to do with it? They're going to buy some cigarettes. Like, let yeah, them have but some I mean, cigarettes. But why, why should they profit off of these crimes that they committed? Why not? I don't think so. I think these crimes should be donated to a charity or donated to the family of the victims. No, it's a bit like, oh, yeah, I killed your kid and then I wrote a book about killing your kid and here's some money. Nah, yeah, let okay. them keep the money and buy some ramen. What if they killed your kid? You're a poor family. That was your that was your only child. You, you know, you're at this point, you're barren. And then here's this criminal that made like six million dollars off this book about raping and murdering your child. It must be a good book. I'd buy that book. Yeah, I'd be like, fuck you. You don't deserve that money. <laughs> well, yeah, I know we do have laws similar. That I don't think they're called Son of Sam, though. I'm not sure what they're called. Well, the Some son, boring, probably. The Son of Sam laws uh, authorize a state to seize money earned from the deals, such as uh, you know, movie, movies come out of a lot of these book deals. They do. Uh, biographies and paid interviews. And then they use that money to compensate the criminal's victims. But these laws have been criticized uh, for violating uh, free speech, the First Amendment. Um, so in certain cases, the Son of Sam law can be extended beyond the criminals themselves to even include friends, neighbors, and family members of the uh, criminal who are trying to seek profit just you know, their, with their relation to him. So I haven't heard of a, uh, a trial based on that yet, but it has happened. So the Son of Sam law goes back to David Berkowitz. David who, Berkowitz. David Berkowitz. <laughs> who, during his murder spree in the 19, mid-1970s New York City, 
Um, after he was arrested, I mean, there was just an intense media, uh, you know, foray into this guy and, and uh, people wanted to get interviews with him. And there's a lot of speculation that he might actually sell his story to a writer or a filmmaker. And so Berkowitz, I don't think ever did. He did write a terrible book. But he never tried to sell his story, I don't think. No, he just wrote a, like a non... I mean, it's, to me, it's daft he's even still alive because you kind of think he should be dead by now. But he's just a dafty. How old is he? Oh, he'll be old. I'm surprised no one's ever taken him out. I bet they've tried and I bet they want to because it would be so good to like get the son of Sam to get dead. But I just think he's an absolute mentalist and probably shouldn't even be in jail. Well, because of this media ballroom blitz, um, the New York State Legislature uh, has passed preemptive legal statutes uh, known as the Son of Sam to try to prevent anyone from profiting off of uh, their crimes, including Mark David Chapman, member yeah. of uh, John Lennon. But critics obviously argued that it was a violation of the First Amendment. So an interesting case, though. It, it doesn't always stand true, though. It's, it's not like the Son of Sam law is completely invulnerable. Uh, you can challenge it. And in 1987, uh, lawyers from publishing company uh, Simon Schuster sued the New York legislature uh, to prevent the enforcement of Son of Sam law with respect to the book they were about to publish called Wise Guy. Oh. Yeah, written by uh, Nicholas Pileggi. Um, book was about uh, mobster Henry Hill and was used for the film Goodfellas. And so the case actually went all the way up to the Supreme Court in, 19, in 1991 in an 8-0 to ruling on uh, Simon Schuster versus Crime Victims Board, the court, court ruled that the law was unconstitutional, and that was over-inclusive. Right. It, so, it makes sense for that book. Yeah, well, it would have prevented the publication of other works, such as the autobiography of Malcolm X, Thoreau's Civil Disobedience, and the Confessions of St. Augustine, if you applied it you know, in, in all of its details. So um, it's, been, it's been revised since then. And New York has adopted a new Son of Sam law in 2001 that requires the victims of crimes to be notified whenever a person convicted of a crime receives 10 grand or more from any source. Oh, right. Okay. So if they're offered 10 grand for a, a paid interview or, uh, or you know, to pen a, uh, an article or something, the law then attaches a springing uh, statute of limitations, which gives victims an extended period of time to sue the perpetrator in civil court for that money that they were um, allotted. Well, that's essentially what the Goldmans did with uh, OJ. Did OJ? Oh, yeah, I guess OJ lost the civil trial as well, which is basically sometimes the civil trial can be just as important as the. Um, but the OJ didn't trials. have an advance on a book or anything or a movie deal. He wrote a book. But was he trying to sell the book based on the. On he he his wrote a fucking book called If I Did It. And it's a fantasized version of him being like. I didn't kill Nicole. This is my impression of OJ. I didn't kill no Nicole. But if I was going to do it, this was how I'd do it. Was it with a knife and a bloody glove? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, maybe, maybe I would come upon them and there would be a young man there that I did not recognize, but I did know. And I killed him. So when did the book come out? <laughs> so racist. It's terrible. Um, when was the civil trial? I think the civil trial was about two or three years after um, the penalty trial i thought the civil trial was because he i guess wasn't charged because with any wrote, criminal but i thought it was because he wasn't charged with because any, he uh, wrote that book criminal liability it gave them an opening for them to sue him okay i guess my understanding of it i thought since they he didn't get any uh charges from a criminal perspective they're like well we can sue you in civil court for no damages. it was it was because he wrote that book and then they got all the money 
from the sale of that book and it was into the millions, but the Goldman family never received this money and are still owed it by OJ to this day. Yeah, I'm sure they're gonna, I'm sure they're going to pay him off. Um, well, wait till OJ hears your impression of him. My really now, now I'm nervous. Impression. Maybe we should stay in England. <laughs> What's anyway. he going to do? He's an old man. <laughs> I'm not blonde. Come and stab me, OJ. I still think he could beat me in a foot race. Do you think? Is that, Fuck yeah. Uh, no, I he, bait he him. He ran for the bills. I bait him on Twitter all the time. He's not running for anything. He's fat. I, still, I think he would beat me in a foot race. I would beat him in a foot race. That's saying something. <laughs> Anyway, this week, we're going to chat about other killers in OJ, the killers who also became authors um, when they're in prison and afterwards. And not surprisingly, Kate Rambo owns most of their books and have read them at least, what, three times? Probably, yeah. <laughs> Before we get into that, let's chat about something uh, regrettably much less lucrative than a book by a serial killer, The Sick and Wrong Patron. Hey! <laughs> it's been a rough couple months on the old patron. But thank you to everyone who's been signing up to Apple Soaps. Yeah, I think that's awesome. That's... A lot of people send up to Apple Subs. I think it's just because it's easier. Yeah, and to to that uh, that one legend who bought like four T-shirts today. Yeah, that well. was really Thank cool. You. <laughs> you, can, you can almost wear a different sick and wrong shirt every day of the week. People should just anyways. Well, we just appreciate <laughs> you, you know, helping us keep this show going. I mean, it's a lot, it's it's expensive, and uh, you know this this whole move to the U.S. is actually costing a lot of money, believe it or not. Yes. And uh, you know, we we try to do this every week because because you know it's it's fun and it's it's definitely our pastime. But yeah, it's it's, it's cost add up for it. And uh, if you could support us, any help you can give us, we do appreciate it. And we're gonna give you something in return for only five dollars a month. That's it, five bucks a month. Uh, you get access to Sick and Wrong Second Show, uh, which is a completely separate hour and a half long show we get into a lot of personal details uh this week uh, we chat about all the details of the move uh, including moving chi chi which is really sad but uh but interesting very involved it's an involved operation yes and for everyone who wants to know he made it to london and he is safe he okay. did make it to London, and he's safe, and he actually looked kind of happy in his little furry uh, He looked very cave. pissed off. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would be pissed off if I was him as well. Uh, we also chat about Gino, longtime listener, who took the train up here on the bank holiday and made my years-long wish to walk the walls of the Carlisle oh Castle God. come true. Yeah, thanks, Gino. Thanks for that. He is. He's the chairman, of the, chairman and CEO of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. <laughs> he is. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how many times I've asked Kate you know, to check out that castle with me. Never. It's been brutally shut down. You've never once asked until brutally fake mum put up some pictures of it and then suddenly you were interested. I don't even know these pictures you speak of. I just know yes, we'd walk by and I'd be like, I'd love to walk the walls of that castle. <laughs> you never once and you're like, said shut that. up. <laughs> shut up, boy. That, that's usually the answer. Um, finally, we share the story of a woman whose husband sustained a traumatic brain injury two years after they got married. And uh, she reveals how she still cares for him with the help of her new husband. Yeah. You can hear our thoughts on that. Five bucks a month. You get access to Sick and Wrong on Patreon. And you get, you get access to the official Sick and Wrong Discord, which is a, a fun, a fun-loving place. And as we mentioned before, Apple Podcasts. We get to show up on Apple Podcasts. You can just subscribe to the second show there. A couple different ways to support us. And for a few dollars more on Patreon, we do have the Sick and Wrong Overkill, our bonus mini-sode, as well as the archives. Uh, which I am in the process of uploading to Apple Podcasts. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. We do appreciate you helping us uh, keep the show going. Let me play this quick promo and then let's chat about how the pen can be mightier than the machete. Mm -hmm. 
Hi guys, Stuart here. I'm just calling in to get this off my chest. All you listeners out there, why are you not signing up for the Patreon? Seriously, these two fine people do the show next to having a regular job, and you don't feel the need to support them. So sign up to the Patreon today. You're not helping a Jew through college, but through his midlife crisis. And Kate is packing her shit to live in California. Both of these things are not cheap. They give so much and ask for so little. So do it now and keep the show going. Dee and Kate, you're doing a great job. Love you guys. Stuart out. So first up is a serial killer that you may never have heard of, but I think he's one of the most depraved. And there's something kind of sexy about him. Something like, he kind of looks like he would be your accountant, but like a sexy accountant. He's got that about him. He has huge hands too. He does look debonair. Debonair is yeah, probably the better, better example than saying he looks like a sexy accountant. We'll go <laughs> with that. So, uh, Johan Unterweger, that's how we're going to say it, was the son of an Austrian barmaid, fraudster, and hooker named uh, Theresia, and an American GI who had been serving with the Allied Forces for 10 years after the end of World War II. Jack is born lean and mean with huge hands. He's a fierce Leo, born on August the 16th, 1951. But he was unwanted from the beginning. His mother abandoned him by the age of two, and he was raised in a one-room cabin in the countryside of uh, Carinthia, Austria, living with his uh, slattern aunt and his very abusive and alcoholic grandfather. Later, a client would actually murder his auntie, and her murder is still unsolved. Wait, one of his clients? One, one of Like hers. one of her clients. Oh, okay, yeah. wow. He didn't have any local kids his own age to play with. Uh, instead, he was raised with hookers and pimps. He was drinking schnapps by the age of five, and he was fully truant by the age of nine. He moved on to robbery and pimping. His lust for violence was very real, and it was recognized by the women that he controlled. He said, I wielded my steel rod, I sound Swedish, <laughs> among the prostitutes and pimps of Hamburg, Munich, and Marseille. I had enemies, and I conquered them through my inner hatred. He's a lot more like articulate than the uh, the pimps of Oakland in San Francisco. Yeah, well, do they have steel rods to wheel? Well, they had the back of their hand. You're damn right. Yeah. So wait, he would just walk around with a steel rod? Maybe I think it's metaphorical. Okay. He was imprisoned a total of 16 times between 1966 and 1974 for petty theft, pimping, sexual assault. But he had actually only spent 12 months locked up in total behind the iron bars, uh, which really isn't anything. He was looking at more jail time for his first murder, that of an 18-year-old German prostitute named Margaret Schaefer in December of 1974. He had bludgeoned her with an iron bar, so maybe his iron bar was not just <laughs> metaphorical. <laughs> before strangling her with her own bra. He admitted the crime and he told the judge in court during his trial in 1976, I envisioned my own mother in front of me and I killed her. I don't know, I'm doing like an Antonio Banderas thing. You, you know, I, I keep picturing the pimps, like in I'm gonna get you sucker. Yeah. You know, like the, the black pimps in New York City with their like, uh, you know, high heels that were like aquarium oh, that, high heels. The, the golden age of pimping, Yeah, but yes. that did not happen in Germany. These are harsh. You know, taciturn pimps. Yeah. We're walking around with iron bars. I'm surprised he wasn't wearing like a Waffen SS jacket. Oh, that's sexy. <laughs> so it's time to turn to foreplay for me now. So he's sentenced to life in Stein prison. And this might have been the last we'd ever heard of the Slut Slayer. But as with most Leos, you can't underestimate their power and their determination to outshine anyone else in the room. So although he was illiterate, 
Jail is now giving him time to focus, and he did what a lot of jailbirds do, so as well as getting bummed, he learned how to read and write, and this is becoming his new passion. This bad boy was making a vow to turn good, and the more he read, the more he felt encouraged to write, so he would write poems, short stories, novellas, and eventually he wrote an autobiography named Purgatory, or The Trip to Jail, Report of a Guilty Man. This book skyrocketed to the top of the bestsellers list when it was published. It was also turned into his movie. His other book, Terminal Prison, won him a literary prize in 1984. So I've heard of Terminal Prison, but I've never heard of Purgatory, The Trip to Jail. I haven't heard of that one either. I've only heard of Terminal Prison. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm going to pick this up and we should probably watch the movie. Yeah, I want to check this out. I wonder who uh, was in it. I'll have to look that up. His books changed public opinion over his case. Top critics like Peter Hume, a historian and radio talk show host, was just one of the numerous Austrian intellectuals who uh, rallied for the Unterweger case uh, and cause. Of his autobiography, Peter says, it was authentic, a real cry. Elfindi Jelenic. <laughs> they just sound so Swedish. I know it's Austrian and it's German. <laughs> this is Elfindi. Just, just butchering the names. <laughs> I already apologized to the Swedish and the Austrians out there. Oh, don't apologize to them. They're big boys. They're not scared of anything. She was actually soon to be the Nobel Prize winner and a famous author. Um, she wrote of his works, the clarity and the great literary quality with which Jack Unterweger describes his childhood made a great impression on me. So he was popular. But his works were bogus fictions. They're filled with lies. They're filled with mistruths about his past. They plagiarized famous poems. He claimed this work as his own, but it slipped past all protests. So these, like, uh, these great critics have been hoodwinked by a pimp. But at the same time, how does that give him redemption for what he did? Because he like, made, it, made a spin on it and being like, oh, woe is me. This has been my whole life. And he's not admitting that, you know, he would walk the streets of an iron bar hitting girls. Yeah, you, you got caught for beating Being a woman a and, and strangling her. her, murdering her. Yeah. How many did you murder that you didn't get caught for? Exactly. And I don't think a couple books really give you any kind of redemption. Well, they did. And so Peter was just one of the numerous intellectual lefties who signed a petition of Untervega's release. Even government officials signed the clause. The campaign ultimately succeeded, and 15 years after he entered prison, he was released on May the 23rd, 1990, with the prison governor stating that there wasn't a better prisoner so well prepared for freedom. So he was out. But Jack isn't the first per, uh, prisoner that turned public opinion around. But, but wait a second, what happened to Jack? We're going to get back to Jack. Okay, all right. We're just going to so leave him there. Put a pin in it. We're going to put a pin in it. Put a little pin in it. This is another famous case, okay? I had to mention it. Norman Mailer, who is like me, is a big fan of the bad boy. He helped release Killer turned writer Jack Henry Abbott in 1981. Jack Henry Abbott, very sexy. He has a 1970s mustache, like shaggy 1970s hair. He kind of has a Burt Reynolds vibe to me. Yes. Yeah. I'm going with Whereas, whereas Unterweger kind of reminds me, I know I'm reaching over here, kind of reminds me of Brian Ferry. I get that. I get, He's I like get, a blonde from Brian. From Roxy Music. Yeah. A blonde Brian Ferry. It's the white suit. It's isn't the it? white suit, I think, that, that first yes. clued me in on it. But yeah. All right. So we got Brian Ferry. We got Bruce Reynolds. Bruce Reynolds. No, Burt Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> I mean, he could go by Bruce, though. He, he could pull could. that off. Bruce is a great name. 
Jack Abbott was a hot dog vendor. He's a laborer. He grew up in similar circumstances to our other Jack. He was born January the 21st, 1944 in Oscoda, Michigan. Do you know where that is? Oh, I do know where Oscoda is. And I know we played football when I was a freshman against Oscoda. And they beat us like 64 to 6. <laughs> They're big farm boys. Oh, yeah. Cool. So this Aquarian was the son of a Chinese prostitute and an American soldier who had been stationed nearby. He was a terrible student with a terrible attitude, and he dropped out by the ninth grade, which is around the age of 11 for the Brits over here. He grew up in rough, in foster homes. He slid down the slope to reform school where he was raped. He was abused, mainly by the guards that were supposed to stop such crimes. Well, now you know how crimes are engendered. Well, yeah. rape and abuse by the prison guards. It's like the movie Sleepers. Yeah, exactly. He relapsed into society as a very angry and very fucked up young man at the age of 18. He bounced some rubber checks and he got five years in Utah State Pen for the pleasure. Some guy looked at him funny in the tin can and he reacted by stabbing the con to death. And for this, he was slapped with a three to 20 for manslaughter. He planned a daring escape, which he pulled off. He fled to Colorado. He robbed a bank in Denver. And then he was caught and he was sent to solitary for his bad attitude, where he would have spent the rest of his days. Well, you know, I'm always impressed when someone can pull off a prison escape. Totally. It's like, well, what year was that, though? It was, the, yeah, I think it was before um, Bundy. Yeah, like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah. So that was probably like 1950s, 60s? No, no, like 70s. Oh, 70s he pulled. Okay, yeah. I'm impressed with a, a prison escape. Early 70s. You know, in the early 70s. And like the other Jack, he now took the to the prison library for his only form of escape. Nietzsche, Engels, and Hobbes were his main philosophy guys because obviously he's a man. He read the words of Stalin and Mao and he went through his Marxist phase because obviously he knows the system is what's wrong with society, man. He read about other criminals too and somewhere in some magazine now lost to time, he read that prominent author Norman Mailer was writing a book about doomed to die Gary Gilmore. Oh yeah. Like any good author, and Mailer is amongst the finest, he turns Gilmore's shitty, boring, wasted life into pure poetry, introducing greedy characters like Lawrence Schiller that make you question who the bad guy really is. The book has hints of Jack throughout because he had written to Mailer saying he had known Gary Gilmore and he offered insights to prison life. Lines such as, you can't stand the sight of each other and yet you are doomed to stand and face it another every moment of every day of years without end can only have come from Jack. <laughs> yeah, that sounds very personal. Well, that's interesting. How would he know Gary Gilmore? Do you think they were cellmates? Um, he had met him, like, in the system. And he, like, because he is in paths. Utah. Yeah, yeah they yeah. cross paths. Norman thanks Jack extensively in Executioner, uh, which is a great book. It's huge. It's, like, 900 pages long. Well, I've no, never, I've, like, I've a thousand. I've read excerpts. I've never read the whole thing. Oh, it's, it is a really good book. It's one of those Seems books. Seems like a slog, uh, though. You have to warm up after the first 100 pages, but then after that, it goes by really quick. But it just, it hurts your wrists. <laughs> like, I'm an old lady now. <laughs> it's my wrist to hold up such a big book. Could kill someone with that book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he treasures his letters, Mailer does. So much so that he told Jack that they worked on Abbott's book, In the Belly of the Beast, Letters from Prison Together. They work hard to cover up Jack's racism, his hatred for women, his hard, fast Marxist views, his eye-for-an-eye attitude towards violence. 
But the public didn't know this, and it becomes an instant bestseller where the public believed that Jack had always been the victim and he deserved a real chance. So wait, wait, wait. Would Jack just write some kind of racist, misogynistic prose, send it over to Norm Mailer, and be like, okay, we got to cut that part, Jack. Gotta cut that. Let's rephrase Jack, this, this section, okay? You're not allowed to stomp on a woman's head and then rape her. We're going to have to take that part out, okay? As he says, Norman Mailer's slowly wanking himself off. <laughs> Loves it. Mailer even said that he would work as his secretary and the Utah Parole Board released him in June of 81 uh, where champagne and celebration flowed, but it's only going to last nine days. Jack becomes a fugitive again after actor and writer Richard Aiden had the displeasure to meet a drunken, raging, vengeful abbot in the early morning hours of July the 18th. Richard ended up with a knife in the chest and Jack, no longer welcome at Rolling Stone or in literary circles, is now on the run. Well, they just freed the beast. Like, what do they, they think's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> he ran to Mexico. He tried to make it to Cuba before re-emerging, selling hot dogs in New Orleans under a new name. Well, see, that's a business you can always go back to. You can start it anywhere. It's yeah. like once you learn that trade, you can, you, can, you can do that in any country. I tell you, I do miss hot dogs. That's like one of the, there's a few meats I really miss and it's surprising. I I, just think it's a perfect, it's a perfect food hot dog. I think it's a vile specimen of meat. It's just like whatever byproducts you can shove in a a skin tube. It's delicious. It's vile. I don't think I've ever actually eaten like a pork hot dog before. Oh, they're the best. The best ones are the Polish ones that are the size of like a really, (laughs) OJ's dick probably. (laughs) They're huge. How about a not dog? A nice tofu hot dog? Dipped in mustard. (laughs) I could go for one of them. Uh, He was soon caught and his courtroom trial would be packed with celebrities such as Christopher Walken. Back when Christopher Walken was hot. Susan Sarandon, back when she was hot. And obviously his old bestie, Norman Mailer. All there. You know, Saturday Night Live should have done a parody of that. They should have. It would have been great. So, Jack, why did you do it? He took the stand in his own defense. He portrayed himself as the victim. The prosecution read his vivid descriptions of stabbing from his own book. (laughs) The judge sentenced him to 15 years for manslaughter, where he once again turned pen to paper and wrote a second, less popular book called My Return. So, wait, wait. The critics weren't that receptive of My Return? (laughs) No, they probably weren't. They all could do that thing with that collar. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I wonder what he did. He's just like, listen, I'm a criminal. That's what I do. I return to whence I came, man. You're going to put a shark in jail for eating a seal? That's what a shark does. Yeah. It's all your fault, man. In March of 2000, he was nearly beaten to death in Attica, and he was denied parole in 2001. On February the 10th, 2002, he wrapped shoelaces and a bedsheet around his neck and he slowly suffocated himself. He left a suicide note behind, but its contents remain unknown. Do you think it said, fuck Norman Mailer? (laughs) (laughs) Jack Jack Abbott was a good enough writer that he could hide inside the, the truth of it, who he really was. He was a psychopathic manipulator who was trying to blame the system when he should have been really blaming himself. And how many criminals are just like that? All of them. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this guy actually, you know, had was able to write, you know, artistically. And had an interesting life. I mean, breaking out of jail yeah. and doing all of this is kind of an incredible life when you think about it. You would never, it's nearly like a movie. I want to know more about his hot dog business. I do. I want a hot dog. <laughs> Another writer who didn't blame himself, though, was Mailer, who said that culture is worth a little risk, darling. 
in regards to the damage done by his dangerous protege. Another writer who cast a cloud over public opinion was Carol Chessman, and he's a convicted robber, kidnapper, and serial rapist who was sentenced to death in San Quentin for his times. Although, of course, there are people who say he didn't do any of this, and he's not a rapist. Well, you gotta think, you know, with a, with a name like Carol, it's similar to a boy named Sue. It is. You gotta be tough. Yeah. He writes four books, his most popular being his memoir, Cell 2455 Death Row. I have this book, and I must say, oh, it's a slog. AI. Wait, it's just kind of not interesting, or is it boring? Yeah, it's just kind of just a, just a slog. <laughs> he's a, I wouldn't say out of the other two guys, he's got the personality to be a great writer. It's all very, like, he's just not fun. He's not a fun guy. You know, sometimes I've read some of these criminal, uh, like, memoirs, and it's just kind of like a journal of their thoughts but they're like you know that. yeah but they're not that bright they're not that interesting you know they don't they don't write you know with like this artistic flair so it's kind of just reading some dumb guy's journal today woke up had some stewed fruit went back to sleep You're, i should not be here smash some guy's head in the toilet it's like okay yeah sure <laughs> you you do some horrible violent things because you're in that setting you're that prison milieu but i mean all in all it's not that interesting now Abbott actually, he's, he, I've read some of his, just excerpts of his books too. I've never actually read a full book by Abbott. And his, his writing is interesting. It's kind of like in a Bukowski-esque type way. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you've read The Executioner's Song, you've read Jack Abbott. Because that's a coll definitely a collaboration book. There's no yeah. way Mailer wrote that without Jack Abbott. So uh, Carol became a celebrity. And he becomes a fawn in the prison system side <laughs> because of his popularity. So we've got Pope John, Marlon Brando, and Audley's Huxley were all fans that helped uh, campaign worldwide for his release. A petition to free the crook in Brazil gathered some 2.3 million signatures. People in Brazil cared, apparently. They were probably <laughs> lied to. It's like, sign this, you'll get some lemons. Carol described himself as grinning, brooding, young criminal psychopath when he was arrested. But during his 12 years on death row, he portrayed himself as the innocent victim of a barbaric system that saw the police beat a confession out of him and being denied an attorney in a crooked trial. He did have all of those things happen to him. Oh, okay. Nowadays, he would, you'd like to think he would get a mistrial. And his lawyer wasn't even present while he was being beaten to confess. Wow. But... Didn't mean he didn't do it. Well, I guess that was my question. Is he still guilty of the crimes he committed? Some people say yes and some people say no. I'm inclined to believe that yes, he did do them. He had been convicted of 17 fel felonies committed during a 1948 robbery and rape spree in which he tricked couples parked in lovers' lanes in the, the Malibu colony near the Rose Bowl and above Maholland Drive into thinking he was a police officer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he would shine a red spotlight into their cars. Two women were actually dragged away from their cars and uh, forced to suck his cock. Ooh. Did just... he wear a uniform? Yeah, he must have. Oh. Yeah. He, he must have done, because you can't just be like... I wonder if like the Zodiac was reading this, and he was like, hmm. Didn't, but didn't Son of Sam also go to Lover's Lanes and shoot them through the car window? Yeah, but there's a lot less lovers lanes and queens. They yeah, were just more out in the streets. I, I can see with Mulholland Drive, there's many different areas you could do that. We should go and find some out. Yeah. Not for kissing, for murdering. <laughs> Chessman's sentenced to death, not for the sex crimes, but for kidnapping under a law passed after the Lindenberg kidnapping that allowed the death penalty even in cases where the victim was not killed. 
So his case suddenly made the death penalty seem very real, and the anti-death penalty movement was bolstered by the success of his book sales. But despite the part part of public opinion calling for his release, it's never going to work out for Creepy Carol. And he choked to death on cyanide on May the 2nd, 1960, two days before his 39th birthday. And let me tell you, when you look at a picture of this man, you are like, how the fuck are you 39? Uh, you think he's in his 60s. Oh, just hard living? Hard living. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to post a picture of the site on this guy. He went to the chair, still proclaiming that he was innocent and he was not the red light rapist, which will forever remain to be seen. But the thing is, didn't he have eyewitness accounts of women that he raped? They're like, yeah, this is the guy. It, he did get fingered in court, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure he got fingered, you know, on, uh, when he was, you know, in the lineup. I'm sure these women, these victims, were like able to be like, yeah, I'm still living. That's the guy who raped me. But yeah, you got like Marlon Brando saying like, oh, no, you know, he's been railroaded. This is a miscarriage of well, justice. You know, they say there's a lot of <laughs> stuff about Marlon Brando as well, being very busy with his willy. So. Well, I would be surprised. He really loved my people. <laughs> Did he? Was he an anti-Semite? Oh, he hated Jews. Did he? Especially towards the end. I never knew this about Brando. Yeah, what was it? What, I forget what... I don't remember if it was Dr. Moreau that he was working on. But uh, yeah, he was like railing against Jews. Oh, he's like a little Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. He was before Mel Gibson. I still would, though. Come on. He's Brando. (laughs) Unofficial moratoriums on the death penalty actually followed in California after his execution and elsewhere in the 1960s. Then came the 1972 decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to strike down the death penalty and it's going to be reinstated four years later. But that all came about because of uh, Chessman. He never got to see life after bars, but Jack Untervega would. Ooh. So we're going back to, back to Austria now. The return. As Jack glared into the sunshine and the camera lenses, three of the bars at once confined him for his cries, he stated, his crimes, he stated, that life is over now, he told the awaiting press. Let's get on with the new... <laughs> the past is pointless. Water like, under the bridge. Yeah, he's got a martini glass in his hand, as he say again. In his white suit. And that's how he presented himself as the perfect rehabilitated prisoner, a man who had replaced the sword with the pen. Majority of the public adored Jack, and he was a fixture on television talk shows and the most favored guest at high society cocktail parties. The sales of his books made him rich. He wore designer clothes, white suits. He drove a Ford Mustang with the personalized license plate reading Jack One. And he began dating a blonde 18-year-old, and his haters said she resembled his first victim, Margaret Schaefer. So he's living it up. Why not? Well, now he's kind of actually living like a real pimp. Yeah, he is. In October of 1990, Brunhild Masse was killed near Graz. In December, Heidi Hammerer died near um, Bregenz. In the spring of 1991, Elfriede Schrempf, Sylvia Zagler, Zabine Mozzi, Regina Prem, and Karin Sladil Arulala were all murdered. And they're all dumped in forests near Vienna and Graz. All their deaths followed a similar pattern. They were all strangled with their clothes. They were ne- left naked or they were redressed and they're dumped and they're covered with leaves and shrubbery. To that sounds familiar. Mm. On his TV interviews and in the press, he was actually asked his thoughts on the serial killer known as the courier. Something that gave him no, like a fucking <laughs> huge boner to discuss it so publicly. 
Well, you have to admire his technique. <laughs> With a martini glass in one hand. I wonder who coined that technique. <laughs> An Austrian magazine commissioned him to head to the dark city of noir crime, Los Angeles, where murder is a business and business is always booming. He jetted off with his lover, staying at the Cecil Hotel. He wrote a couple of articles, mainly about the prostitutes that walked the mean and grimy streets of Hollywood Boulevard. The murders by the back <laughs> by the courier back home had stopped. Chinny oh. reckon. Oh, yeah, that's suspicious. <laughs> but three dead hookers who were all strangled with their own bras were found in Hollywood. Probably mm. in the Hotel Cecil, too. Probably. Yeah. Uh, with 12 to 15-ish dead women around the globe, by early 1992, the net was tightening on the capture of the killer. Captured with his soon-to-be teen bride in Miami, he was sent to Graz in southeastern Austria because Vienna lacked the backbone to try its most infamous son. He had been out of jail for this point by nearly two years. I wonder how they suspected him. There is a very interesting article I read all about the like the FBI because the FBI once he was obviously um, killing women worldwide, the FBI were like, "That's him," and Vienna was like, "No, <laughs> don't, don't get say it, it like, ain't so." <laughs> why were they so like you know nearsighted on this guy? Like, I mean, here's this dude who you know the the entire mo is exactly the same. And these women are being strangled with their bras. Why wouldn't they be like, oh, okay, this does sound familiar. Maybe we have a repeat offender on our hands. Maybe it's the serial killer that we let out of prison. No, say it ain't so. We love him on the telly. Wow. <laughs> His trial will last only a week. He's bound to guilt by DNA evidence and good police work. Many of his previous defenders stood by him as he proclaimed his innocence. Women openly wept for him during courtroom proceedings. I mean, this is some thirsty women in Austria. I mean, this is cognitive dissonance at its worst. Like, you know, this guy is a is a murderer. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious. There's yeah. even DNA evidence at this point. I think they're crying because he does have really sexy hands and he has sexy tattoos too. Yeah. So those white suits, I tell you. Only a certain kind of guy can pull that off. Ron Ashton used to wear white suits. Yeah? Yeah. Brian Ferry. Ron Ashton. Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> and Tattoo. It's a great old tattoo to have a white suit. Probably the little white suit. It's a little white suit, oh. yeah. His old friend Peter said, At the time, I genuinely believed that Untervega was a reformed man. Uh, but now I feel I was deceived and that <laughs> I am partly to blame. Yeah, no shit. You have yeah. blood on your hands there, Pete. On June the 29th, 1994, he's sentenced to life in prison without parole. But he's not planning on going gently into that good night. Less than 24 hours after being sentenced, he strung himself up with a rope made from his own shoelaces and the cord from his tracky bottoms, uh, which isn't as sexy as a white suit. Using the same knot, in the same method he had killed all of his victims, he disappeared into the grave to be obscured by the Rodney King riots and the soon-to-be murder of a blonde babe who drove a white Ferrari <laughs> and her waiter friend who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. If I did it! This is how I do it. Oh, great. Now you're going to be <laughs> talking like O.J. Simpson again. I didn't think you could uh, hang yourself with shoelaces. Why not? Of course you can. You can hang yourself with anything. I, I, I just it. didn't think it was that strong enough. But I mean, maybe, yeah. Well, I mean, you this don't... guy obviously would know how to make a good garrote. And you're also thinking about stringing yourself up. You don't have to do that. You could do it against uh, the door. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what Cornell did? Are you mentioning The Wire? No, Chris Cornell. 
Did oh, he, is that how yeah. he did it on the yeah, door? He did belt on the door handle. Did he? Oh, what a good riddance. <laughs> That's probably the best decision that Chris Cornell ever if, made. If you were uh, Jack here, wouldn't you do die while jacking off? You might as well. Oh, yeah. Have a weird wank death. Have a weird wake and then die because you're going to die anyway. Everyone um, hates you. You're a serial killer. What would be funny is he's obviously got tracky bottoms on and he's taken the card out of his tracky bottoms. But it would have been hilarious if, like, at the moment of when he died, if his, like, pants just went wah, wah, wah. He just fell down. Yeah. Well, then people, all the people would be like, oh, okay, he's autoerotically <laughs> asphyxiating himself. But you know what's funny? It's like you have these guys that already feel partially to blame because you, like, campaigned for his release. And now the guy gets caught and he hangs himself while wanking. You're like, God, it's a double whammy here. <laughs> I didn't even know the guy. It's such a good revenge. He shouldn't have done it. Yeah, he I don't know why he it. didn't. He might have. We just don't know. And Jack had once written, no theme is more poetic than the death of a beautiful woman. You still seem strange and distant and lively deaf, but one day you will be close and full of flames. Come, lover. I am there. Take me. I am yours. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's you know, that's, that's some colorful prose. Martini. Yeah. Jack will be remembered as a devil in disguise. Like Carolyn Abbott, he achieved famous success because he achieved something good. But ultimately, you cannot write yourself out of the trouble you got yourself in. And in their words, are kind of like a last reminder to not believe everything that we read, especially from them. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like these guys, you're, you're not really going to change the man behind that pen, you know, who's wielding it. No. You know? And, and that's why I wonder, like, were these killers made or were they born? Yeah, no, I think I definitely, I think you can be born with it inside of you, but unless you have those certain things happen to you in like your early childhood life, then it will trigger you. But I think we all, to be born a psychopath is very, very, very rare. Like Ted Bundy wasn't a psychopath because he showed empathy, like well, very I, rare. And I think that's the thing when you're growing up in that, you know, that society or that situation where there is no empathy and you've never felt empathy. Yes. Then I think that's how a psych, you know, psychopathy can flourish. Yeah. Which is what obviously what happened here. But yeah, you know, there's got to be egg on the face of Norman Mailer, <laughs> Marlon Brando. And oh, all these Mailer people. didn't care. Mailer got hit. <laughs> Mailer got what he wanted. Yeah, well, I mean, and he, he got sold an even book. better story at the end of it. He was like, yeah. and I helped him get out. And then you should do it. Guess what he did next? But do you think he went to like the execution? Do you think he went to the funeral? Oh, well, no, he didn't. Uh, Abbott didn't. Yeah. Abbott killed himself. But I'm pretty sure Mela uh, might have even been like, I will take his ashes. <laughs> They're mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, put it right next to his Pulitzer. Yeah, why not? <laughs> People, this is episode 910 here. Sticking wrong. Got a couple phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. Or you can email us, stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com. We'll play your MP3s. But first, uh, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. It's Butt Plug Month on adamandeve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. Okay, Rambo, we got a couple phone calls to get to. Um, you know who called in? Whom? The Watt. Oh, I love his calls. The Watt's the kind Watt. of like a Jack Abbott type character. He's got a lot of experience. Lot of, he's obviously not a killer, but he's got a lot of uh, weird experiences, a unique take on life. 
He's a lady killer. I could see the wad um, wearing a white suit. I could see the wad sporting a white suit too. Yeah. Uh, maybe on his way to the proctologist oh, for a I prostate know. exam. Oh, wow. <laughs> The Wad gets a prostate exam. So in the fall of 2005, I started to experience symptoms of overactive bladder. It felt like I constantly had to take a piss. This was always accompanied by my dick regularly dripping throughout the day. I went to urgent care trying to figure out what was going on. They died. Do you think he had uh, to wear Depends? Do you think he had to wear like <laughs> I don't know, but if you want to include not only the overwhelming urge to piss, but then when you do piss, you can't actually piss and you're pissing uh, razors. That's cystitis. Oof. Yeah, that's painful. The worst. Diagnosed me with urethritis. This oh. can be caused by chlamydia. So oh. I got an STD test. The STD test came up negative. Uh, this test involved uh, them putting a cotton swab in my pee hole. <sighs> that shit burned like hell. I was a oh, yeah, I've had that before. It sucks. So, uh, Wad, what did uh, your wife, I think it's his wife, I think she's his wife. Yeah, now it's wife? his wife. Yeah, she's his wife. Uh, no, I met his lovely wife when uh, at the Rainbow, but what did she think about the possible chlamydia diagnosis? That's what I want to know. And did she put the swab in? <laughs> We've had mouth. actually referred to a urologist. This is where I got the prostate exam. The doctor was a tiny black man. I had to bend over the exam table while I had to endure these gloved, lubed-up, tiny fingers inspecting my asshole. I pictured Beetlejuice from the Howard Stern show. <laughs> <laughs> but don't when you want a tiny little man instead of a big... You're like, you don't want Jack Unterweger's hands inside your, your anus hole because they, they're fucking huge. No, I want like It's like taking a kielbasa. I want tattoos yeah, fingers. Want... I want little Hervé Villachez fingers. You want there. a little dwarf. Found it reminiscent of David and Goliath. <laughs> he diagnosed me with overactive bladder and gave me meds that didn't really do shit. My symptoms were off and on for a couple years. Strange thing is, the symptoms started when I began a relationship with the fat woman I used to date who also had IBS. Ah. The symptoms ended shortly after we broke up. Stress. And sometimes... No, was that... Wait, 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 wait. Was that the girl that you were, like, related to? Remember? Like, his stepsister? No, that's, that was who he lost his virginity to. Yeah, but I thought he was still banging her for years. I think they did bang, but that's definitely not. I don't think the uh, the stepsister cousin was a sodbuster. I thought she was a big girl. I don't think she was a sodbuster, no. All right, maybe I'm wrong. I'm conflating all your ladies there, Wad. <laughs> the dick drip would be so bad, I would literally wear a condom to work so I wouldn't have to worry about it. Every so often, I would go into one of these single occupancy bathrooms. I would take the condom off, turn it inside out, blow it up, rinse it off, and then put it right back on my dick. What the fuck? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let's just, let's just put the brakes on here for, for a second. So you would put a condom on your limp dick all day. There's a viz term for that. My God, there has to be a viz Which term is weird. You, and you'd fill it up with piss. You would empty the piss into a sink, wash the condom out, or would you just, and then blow it back up and stick it back on your cock? Yeah. Do you know what, though? You can tell uh, 
the Arabs are like the Jews because instead of just putting on a new condom, he's like, no, no, I'm going to get as many uses out of this as possible. Yeah, I think the Arabs are almost worse than the Jews. <laughs> that's what they do. You don't reuse condoms. Especially piss condoms. Yeah. God, I couldn't even—I couldn't even imagine that. Why would you just get a diaper? I'm thinking, why wouldn't he just wear like a panty liner, like what women wear? Why didn't yeah, he just wear panty liners? Why did you get maxi liners? pads? Yeah, we're, we're maxi pads. Wad pads. <laughs> now I know these symptoms can be caused by stress. I think it was caused by the stress of being in a relationship with a sodbuster. Yeah. And as if her being fat wasn't bad enough. <laughs> Her IBS was so bad, anytime we got home from anywhere, the first thing she had to do was take a shit. She was also a loud shitter, so I could always hear her ass explode into the toilet. Even down the hall, I could still hear it. <laughs> However, my symptoms did often give me a convenient excuse to not have sex with her. I would often quote Tom Hanks from The Green Mile and say, it's my waterworks acting up. But, uh... Once I, we broke up and I actually started having sex with women I actually found attractive, it seemed to clear right up. Wow. I don't understand how this, you can have this like physiological response to a fat woman. A, a fat, loud, shitting woman. I, I could because I tell you what, my penis is dripping now with piss. Yeah, so was he pissing out of like... Like fear, alarm, confusion. Like what? I don't understand. Like what was All causing of the, the above. piss? Like anxiety. All of the above. That's what was causing the piss to dribble. And I imagine, right? So when you're with when you're with somebody, especially like when you start a new relationship, you always put on weight because you know you just you're happy, you're all loved up, you start eating, but you, you know you're going out you're, for more restaurant more dinners. Yeah. And I think if you're with somebody who's like a sodbuster, Amberlin Reed type, like you are going to put on a fucking bit of weight. So it could have also been all the sodium that his body was ingesting, just trying to piss it all out. I mean, I guess he's like dating Lizzo here. Like, <laughs> did, <laughs> But did, did you, I mean, were you that nervous about having sex with her that you'd piss yourself? That's like, essentially what not, he's doing. Yeah, why just, just make an excuse and ghost her? Maybe they live together. Yeah, just break up with her is what I would have been like. My, I can't even, I have to piss into a condom and that's how I survive now. We're breaking up. How many bathrooms did you have, Wad? Like, did she have her own shit bathroom and you had another bathroom or did you guys share the bathroom? Oh, that'd be the worst if you're waiting for her to finish loudly shitting so you can go in and piss and then she, you just go in to be greeted by that wall of smell. I wonder if she made noises like when it like, you know, like her grunts, like, arr, arr, you know, as, it, as she forced it out. <laughs> Is that what you do? Is that the noises no, I'm hearing? Thank, no, thankfully, I don't have to do that. <laughs> because you're on a smoothie diet. Yeah, I'm on a smoothie diet. It's always liquid. But I mean, this <laughs> woman, though, I, yeah, I kind of feel for her. Like, did you, like, would you what? say I'm something? I'm on the what side. She sounds like a nightmare. I know, but I mean, she's got IBS. Like, did you figure out foods that trigger the IBS? Well, all foods. She's a sodbuster. She's probably eating really bad I think foods. There's certain foods that open up the shit gates. I'm sorry, this woman's not eating salad, is she? Well, yeah. She's probably, not eating a smoothie. You know what it is? It's probably all that Arabic food. It's spicy. You keep eating like shawarma and things like that. It's spicy. Oh my it goes god! Right, right. Stop talking about all my favorite foods. So we talked about hot dogs, which is my favorite food, and now we're bringing up shawarma. Shawarmas are spicy. It's probably what uh, shot right through her. I could eat shawarma. You know what? A shawarma and a hot dog are essentially a sandwich, and I could eat them just every day. 
You think he put on Wu Tang Clan like just to blast her out? Oh, what like, the like noises? Like Jeffrey? Yeah, any loud rap would do it. Now you yeah. put on something with thrash. Yeah, thrash, thrash music would do Some it. Some mega death. Yeah. Yeah. Exodus. And uh, yeah, that's the end of it. <laughs> if you ever need a guest co-host, I would be honored to be on an episode of Sick and Wrong. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Meant to take you up on that one. That'd be kind Defo. of fun. Yeah. Ah, it's been a while since you've had a guest co-host on the main show. Yeah, it's usually JoJo. Well, yeah, JoJo's done the main show, but we JoJo usually does second show. He does because he's spicy. Yeah, he's spicy. He's got a lot of personal funny stories. We're, we're actually going to have JoJo on the second show soon. Yeah, we are because there's a very important date coming up in American history. <laughs> a special anniversary, one of Kate's favorite. It's that's Kate's favorite what, American holiday. It's actually what bonded me and JoJo was our shared love of this American holiday. It's Kate's favorite American holiday. It is, and we should celebrate with a cake. More fun than the Fourth of July. It is. Well, there was a lot more fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Wad, thanks for calling in and. Uh, yeah, legend. There's, there's some questions there that need to be answered. Um, like, did she ever have IBS while you were having sex? I bet that happens because you can't really stop IBS, can you? It's like just having diarrhea all the time. Yeah, so I wonder, like, if he was, like, you know, going down there, tossing some salad. What happens if you're eating out a woman and then she gets IBS and she just, like, shits on you? Like, do you stay in that relationship? Well, that's what I'm wondering, tossing salad or... Giving her oral. Giving her oral, and then she okay. just, like, rips a fart and shits on you. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a question every man has, has to face. I've n has it ever happened to you? It's never happened to me. No, it's never happened to me. Thank I'm going to knock on wood. <laughs> well, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> we should. <laughs> it might happen. Anyway, there you go, Wad. we got some questions for you. Uh, the next caller, I can hardly understand, but thankfully Kate's here to translate. Oh, I know who it is. I think he's still in L.A. Ah, oh, Glasgow Greg. Um, I'm not sure if he's come back yet or not, but he's a legend as well. I know, but it's, it's just fate would have it that way. Where I'm in, I'm in, you know, the UK. He's in LA. Well, uh, it was also his birthday as well. So happy birthday, Glasgow Greg. Happy birthday, Glasgow Greg. Another Leo King. Hi, D. Hi, Kate. Glasgow Greg, check it on here. Very excited about learning new words, and uh, I'm hanging. Up, I'm currently. A caravan and Zellif. No way. You know Zellif, right? You put me in your back or a caravan. All right. What was she saying? I, I hear some kind of music in the back. It sounds, it sounds like very soothing. Enigma. It sounds like Enigma. Yeah, it's definitely not Zellif. Like? Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, right. Zellif. So Zellif is a really shitty seaside town here that like should have been nuked off the planet when um, Sellafield blew up. Like, it should have, it's just terrible. Go there if you want to be depressed. But people like to live. Blackwater. Blackpool. Blackpool. Yeah. Black, yeah. Um, oh, God. Same part. Do you know what? There's probably only maybe two seaside towns in all of the UK that are okay. That are just okay. Like, past them. Because of Scarborough, shithole. Blackpool, shithole. Silliff, shithole. Workington, Whitehaven, shithole. St. B's not quite a shithole, but still what a shithole. Bootle. <laughs> What's the other one? Cockle cockles. Corkicle. Corkicle. <laughs> I love I'm learning all these English towns. Blackwater could be a town. Blackpool. Here. I know, but Blackwater could be a town. It probably is in Essex. It sounds a bit Essexy. 
So wait, what's he doing? He's in a caravan and in... he's in Silif. He's having a seaside Stiliff. holiday. Okay. Mate, the better the better ice creams in Allenby, by the way. I'm just letting. So you know. anyway, I'm here with with the cripples two lesbian friends. Emma, Emma's got the most glorious tits you'll ever see, man. Absolutely wasted on a lesbian or the lesbians, but what, 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 whatever. Anyway, Emma and Nicola, one's a doctor, one's a nurse. They live in uh, Vancouver. Oh. So, we get playing Scrabble, and they offer me this word that, about people that get stuff stuck up their vagina. I've sent you the link. I'm not, I'm not even going to, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to, excuse me, Navajos. Navajos, you keep it down, please. Thank you. <laughs> That, I think that is the Enigma song. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. He's playing Scrabble with a couple lesbians. His one's wife, a doctor. Cripple, one's, one's a, a doctor. Nurse. One's a nurse. And they were telling stories about women who shove things in, in, up their vaginas and they get stuck. Yeah, I think, think they knew the technical term for it. You know, that's, that's fascinating to me because usually it's men who shove things up their anus. It happens though. I've had to go to the hospital, remember, because I thought I'd got a tampon stuck, but I hadn't. Oh, was it a tampon? It was a tampon, That yes. was a pack of Smarties. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to miss Smarties. Do you have them in America? We have M&Ms. They're better. They are better, but they the are orange, better. at Christmas time, they do an entire tube of orange Smarties, and that's basically the only Christmas present my mom will get me because it's all I want. <laughs> Just orange smarties. So wait, um, I did, I, okay, I guess I see that. Now, tampons being stuck, stuck up there, I can understand. But it's the weird things, like light bulbs and, yeah. you know, like bottles jars. and things like that. One jars. woman, one jar. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, that's a homeless woman that keeps, she keeps coming out now. Uh, Auntie Emma's room. In the emergency room, that's a homeless woman and with us condition. Somebody say it for me, I can't see it. Uh, Alright, I'm a little lost. Homeless woman? A homeless woman, this condition of where she sticks things up herself. Okay, she comes keeps in. coming into the hospital. Well, that's what happened to me as well, because when I, when I was embarrassed about uh, thinking I had a tampon stuck up there, the doctor was laughing about it and she was like, oh, no, no, we once had a woman come in with 32 tampons stuck inside of her. 32? I know, I was quite impressed by that. Yeah, I wonder if It feels snug a... with just one tampon in there. I wonder if there's a record for that. Most tampons inside. Yeah, there should be. It's f I tell you what, you have to be Richie Rockefeller to be doing that because you know how expensive tampons are. Well, also, like, how big is your uterus? I mean, it does stretch. That's its job to stretch. Yeah, but would you know that you had a tampon in there? Yeah, I'm saying it feels snug. Like one feels snug. Yeah, but thirty-two. So. I, I personally don't think I could do that. I could take baby 32 inches. <laughs> would, you, would you have like a protrusion though, like in your abdomen yeah, area? Yeah, you'd have all the strings. It would be funny to pull all the strings out. It'd be like a game. But, but I, wonder uh, what she's, I wonder what the thought process behind this is like, I'm never going to have a period again with two <laughs> tampons up there. Gonna suck up everything. Is <laughs> I'm gonna be so fucking dry. Gonna, I'm not gonna need a tampon for a year. <laughs> uh, where they keep stuff and hangs up the fud, up their gushy. So that's all homeless woman, man, and she's a black neck man. She's stinking as fuck. She's still wearing her cell suit, uh, and what? Well, it's disgusting. So they bring her in. She's complaining. Actually, her fanny man. So they go up there. And they go up there with the gloves and they feel something. They feel like a, 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 which feels like a huge lump in there. 
So uh, they open her up, man, and they go in there with tongs, and they can feel it on the tongs, and they give it a little wiggle, man, and it, and it, it falls off, but it, it, they know it's fused to the inside of the vaginal wall. What? Wait, is it like a biological creature now? Like, I'm picturing something like E.T. I was thinking, inside my mind, they, they were going to pull out a mouse. I, I'm thinking like it's an actual, it's evolved into a creature. What's that? Like a ghoulie. Gagoolies. Like the ghoulie. Gingang, ghoulie, 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 ghoulie. What's it? Have you seen the movie Ghoulies? Yeah, of course I see. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the Goonies. What's yeah, the Ghoulies? The Ghoulies. It's like a, I don't know, schlocky horror film. I feel it's like, like I've seen it. It's like these little green creatures with teeth. That's one picture of this. Oh, they sound very cute. They are kind of cute, actually. Yeah. They're mischievous. Uh, God knows how long it's been out there. Uh, and, and when they bring it out... Oh, God, I'm so excited to tell you guys this. And when they bring it out, man, the smell is like worse than death. <laughs> Apparently, they bring it out of the tongs. It goes through the mask. It just burns through the eyes like fucking worse than onions. It's the most disgusting thing ever. It's like, it's like smelling, like you know what? Well, none of you ever lived in Glasgow, but sometimes you're in a Glasgow and Canal, you find a shopping trolley with a whip it in there, and like that would be. I, I missed that. What you said? Sometimes in Glasgow, you get a shopping trolley with a flipper. I thought you said flipper as well, but he obviously isn't a flipper. You know what I'm imagining is Jojo suddenly booked a flight to Vancouver and he didn't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> but then he arrives in this hospital and he's like, I have arrived. <laughs> She's here. My Mrs. Wright. <laughs> no, Jojo is like a sore throat or something. He goes to the hospital in Vancouver and he just smells once. He's like, <laughs> it just runs away. <laughs> He like cr he like crumples into a fetal position, shaking. <laughs> the, the PTSD where the S stands for smell. Stinkor, Stinkor. Part three: the return <laughs> of the stink. God, no, that's terrible. I have actually, I, I have a story I've told on the podcast before. But I remember in uh, college, me and Wackley had a roommate whose best friend. I, I want to say the guy's name was Graham. I, th I think it was Graham. Uh, was, Graham uh, for the British listeners. Yeah, he was a resident, and he was a like a resident doctor in an ER in downtown Detroit, like nasty Detroit. Like he wanted to be in like the the gnarliest ER he could be in, just so he could like really get the experience to see if he wanted to go into that. And so yeah, it was like you know people come in with shootings like all the time and stabbings and bums and everything. It was it was terrible. But anyway, he he one day he had the story of uh, a homeless lady came in, and she's like. My pussy be stinking. And they, they were just like, uh, okay. And yeah, sure enough, she smelled really bad. They brought her in the back. And they went in there. It was the same kind of deal. I'm not, I don't know about 32, but she had several tampons like lodged up in her that had been there for a long time. And they extracted it. And the whole emergency Ugh. room smelled. Like people were complaining. A couple of nurses vomited. And she was like, I told you. My pussy be stinking. Like, now like, do it as yeah. if you're OJ. I can't speak like OJ. My pussy Nordberg. be stinking. <laughs> but I mean, she was like, yeah, she was saying that. And they were just like, yeah, you were you were 100% accurate. <laughs> your, your pussy with, do with be stinking. <laughs> Disgusting, man. It'd be horrible old blizzies and shit. You poke at the sticks. Push the fat guy on top of it. It'd be absolutely filthy, man. Minging. Worst smell. Disgusting. Worst smell ever. So apparently they pull it out, man. It's, it's a piece of a sausage. Like the bottom half of a sausage. 
like a poly sausage, but by their description, what Alan can think of as a, a pepperami, a pepperami sausage. Aye. Just a wait, wait, wait. What kind of sausage? What do you call them? It's like uh, you've got a name for them. Those sausages you can buy at like Seven Eleven. You know like what I mean? Pepperoni. Pepperami. It's like a long stick. It's like nearly. Oh, wait, wait. The, the ones in the machines that are just kind no, of. No, like no, no. It's like no. It's like a long stick, and you can buy it in the Seven oh, Eleven. Like wait, wait. it's not a, a jackling. A slim gym. A slim gym. There yeah, you that's go. That's too slim. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be too slim for well, my this, vagina. So that's what I'm wondering. No. Is she curing this meat by putting it oh, up there? Yeah. Or was she fucking herself with it? Well, I mean, if you bent a pepperami slash slim gem in half, and then, then that doubles its girth, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Was she so curing the, the meat to the, eat well, it later? I've, she had snapped it in half and was using both, both of it to make it girthier. And then one came out and the other bit didn't. The question is, would you eat it after you'd fucked yourself with it? Well, my question is, was she fucking herself with it or was she saving it for later? A disgusting thing I used to do when I, because I like pepperami, especially the spicy ones. You put it in your vagina? No, but it disgusted. They kind of come with a condom on them. Brits know what I'm talking about. They come with a little condomy sheaf. And after I had finished demolishing my pepperami, extra spicy, I would then suck, suck the juices off the condom. <laughs> I just like put it in my mouth and suck the juices for ages and be off the pepperami condom. Wait, when you were older, did you do that to real condoms? Like when you were like 13? <laughs> After my uncle had been in the room. A couple yes. of that that was fused to the inside of our family with the most incredible smell in the world, man. Filthy. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. I'm going to LA, baby. Gotcha. Yeah, I do want to hear his uh, views on L.A. Yeah, let's go, Greg. Please ring in and tell us about it, because he mentioned the homeless to me. So I, I definitely think he'll have some homeless stories. I wonder if he bought a Slim Jim at 7-Eleven. Well, because I, I don't eat meat anymore, I'll never know if your Slim Jims come with a little condom sheaf on them. Remember the, do you ever see the Macho Man, Randy Savage? Yeah, yeah. snap into a Slim Jim. Yeah. I was always so jealous when I was younger that we didn't have Slim Jims, but we, the Pepperami adverts are very iconic. Uh, Brits of a certain age will remember them. I'm just an animal. <laughs> He's like just this crazy cockney geezer who goes around creating mischief. That and the Tango adverts are amazing. I've never actually had a Slim Jim. I've never had, they never had them when See, I was eating I, meat. I know it's meat, but at the same time, I think meat like that, where it's basically they've just brushed it off the uh, the chopping, the butcher floor, and then they've like repurposed it. It's like byproducts, it. once again. Yeah, it's a byproduct. That's probably the best type of meat to eat if you're going to eat meat. Because you've <sighs> no animal has been killed in the making of a hot dog. Nobody kills a pig to make a hot dog. It, it's still just disgusting to me. I, I don't know. I know people like Slim, Slim Jim, so maybe maybe that's the case. But, yeah, I wonder what they did in the hospital with it. Like, did they just immediately incinerate Why it? Why do you think they fucking ate it? Like, what, what do you think they're going to do with it? Keep it? I don't know. Like, oh. would you want to study it to see what it's mutated into? Maybe. I'm, I'm picturing it, like, glowing. Like, you know that, like, that, that, uh, that nuclear fishing rod or something yeah. that lands on Homer's back yeah. in the intro of The Simpsons. I'm picturing something like that, like this like glowing rod that they pulled out of her vagina. While we're here on the subject of sausages before I leave, because this will be uh, the last time I get to see it while we're in Cumbria, the Cumberland sausage is king and nothing compares to it. 
What if it's been in a homeless woman's vagina for two months? Do you know what? I think that I think the Cumberland sausage could survive that. It's so well spiced. <laughs> I think it, nobody would even notice the difference. You wouldn't even lose the taste. No, I think it would come out. And plus, that comes in a delightful ring as well. So that would also be satisfying. It would be like, you know, when the alien uncurls itself in Alien from the oh, ceiling yeah. and curls itself down. <laughs> That's what it would be That's like. That's what the, the sausage would be like coming out of her vagina. You know, I want to, my, my take on this is I don't think she was fucking herself with it. I think she was saving it for later because homeless people, you can get robbed yeah, that's so true. easily. And I mean, it's a, it's a nature's pocket, our it, vagina. It is. Yeah. It's your love wallet. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Glasgow Greg, for calling in. I do want to hear about your views on LA. I highly doubt anyone could understand you there. Yeah, I would like to hear about that as well. I wonder if the cripple had to do a lot of translating. Yeah, or, or people are just like, slow it down. <laughs> I'm sorry, <bro."> sir. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you helping us keep this show going every week. Patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Also, we do have some uh, new merch over at the T Public Store. Just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope and uh, buy yourself a satanic t-shirt. Satanic Sick and Wrong t-shirt. Finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. Now this is appropriate. This, this fits with the theme of the show. Um, a country singer, a Canadian, well, he's not really, he's, he's born wrong. here, but he's more or less Canadian. Ron, yeah, yeah he, Canadian. he definitely loved Canada more than America. Um, Ronnie Hawkins wrote a song called The Ballad of Carol Chessman, in parentheses, Let Him Live. So I think he was on the anti-death penalty uh, uh, side there. Um, anyway, Ronnie Hawkins came out with a song in 1958. He was kind of rockabilly more than country, I guess. Yeah, he was. And then he just became full on rock and roll. Yeah, he was, his career began in Arkansas where he was born and raised. And then he uh, found his success in Ontario, Canada and lived there most of his life. Also known as Rompin' Ronnie, Mr. Dynamo and The Hawk. He was one of the key players in the 1960s rock scene in Toronto. This guy had a hell of a life. Like, I wouldn't yeah. mind reading a memoir about this guy. Fuck yeah. He seems really cool. I mean, he's, he was with Eddie, uh, Eddie Cochran and Gene Vincent on their British tour before Eddie right died. Right before they died, yeah? Yeah, before Eddie died. Amazing. Um, as a teenager, Hawkins ran a bootleg liquor operation from Missouri to the dry counties of Oklahoma. I love him. It is modified Ford Model A, sometimes making 300 bucks a day. Oh, what a legend. He, uh, he claimed in later years, he continued the activity until he was 19 or 20, and that's how he made enough money to buy into nightclubs. Uh, but his life act sounds crazy, included backflips and a camel walk that preceded Michael Jackson's similar moonwalk by three decades. Good on you, Ronnie. Yeah. Um, uh, Hawkins also owned and operated the, the Rockwood Club in Fayetteville. Um, where some of the rock and, some rock and roll's earliest pioneers came to play, including Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, and Conway Twitty. Oh. But he also played backup on, uh, in the, the Basement Tapes, Bob Dylan's album, The Basement Tapes, yeah, he did yeah. with a band. Yeah. Wow, and great. he played and, Bob Dylan in a movie. And he also uh, uh, knew John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Yeah, he housed them. That's a, this guy, this, this, yeah, this guy had a crazy life. Anyway, we're going to end the show here with Ronnie Hawkins, The Ballad of Carol Chessman. People will be back next week with episode 911. Never forget. Let him live, let him live. Carol Chessman spent 12 years in San Quentin. Waiting for his execution day 
there saying may be true But what good would killing him do? Everywhere you go, people say Let him live, let him live, let him live I'm not saying forget or forgive If he's guilty of his crime Keep him in jail a long, long time But let him live, let him live, let him live Carol Chessman, he was called the Red Light Bandit They convicted him and sentenced him to die He was gone to his doom in the gas chamber room Suddenly the world heard a cry Let him live, let him live, let him live I'm not saying forget or forgive If he's guilty of his crime in jail a long, long time But let him live, let him live, let him live Did he kidnap, did he rob, is he guilty? Just like those two policemen say Killing laws made by man Not according to God's plan Let his soul be judged on judgment day Let him live, let him live, let him live I'm not saying forget or forgive If he's guilty of his crime Keep him in jail a long, long time But let him live, let him live To have no perfect for liquid galore, five, six, stings, a shit. I love having dire. 